Uh, We're continuing the uh, Promises series. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bible to John chapter 14, verse 15, Uh, we'll read our text here in just a few minutes. How many of you can remember a time in your life when you'd been training for something and the moment came that you had to do it on your own for the very first time? Can I see a show of hands? You remember a time uh, like that? You know, maybe you had completed your student teaching and and now you had your first job and you were going to have to face a class entirely on your own. Or maybe you've been trained to run a large piece of equipment or trained to drive uh, a semi-truck. And and now there wasn't going to be anyone helping you anymore. There wasn't going to be anyone along for the ride as you were driving the semi. You had to step up and you had to do it all on your own for the very first time. Maybe you had trained to be an accountant, or maybe you had trained to invest other people's money, which is a frightening uh, occupation to consider, uh, at least with my own investment strategies. Uh, (laughs) And then the day came uh, when you were no longer in training. Nobody else was going to be helping you, and you had to make the decisions all on your own. You had to get it right. In every field of endeavor in life, There comes this time when the training is over, and now we have to step up, and we have to do it on our own. I remember very clearly the way that I felt the first time that I had an opportunity uh, to preach. The pastor of my church that Michelle and I went to at that time had kind of brought me along over a few years. He had given me opportunities first to just speak in front of people by making announcements, receiving the offering, doing those kind of things. And then he had given me my first opportunity to actually preach at the church, but it wasn't a full opportunity. It was what you might call a sermonette. He gave me 10 to 15 minutes before the real message that he would give. Uh, I was a nervous wreck, but it was a safe environment. Uh, He was kind to me when it was over, and the congregation ranged from polite to encouraging after I had spoke. But then not too long after that, I received an invitation from a church that I had uh, been a part of with my family when I was a teenager. They asked me to come and preach, and this time it was not a sermonette. It was going to be just me. I was the giver of the message for both their Sunday and their Wednesday services. It was an interesting first opportunity because the church was in Texas, and the founding pastor of the church had been the most revered preacher in the entire denomination that I had grown up in. The current pastor of the church had been his assistant for many years, was himself a seasoned pastor and preacher, and my dad had been on staff at this church and had preached there many times. And so this was a church that was known in the denomination that we grew up in, that I grew up in, for excellent preaching, and I was giving the only message these people would hear that night. I was excited, but I felt completely in over my head. I sat in one of the church offices before the service, and I I looked at all of the theology books on the bookshelves, and I thought, what am I doing? Why am I here And my next thought was, God, please be merciful to these poor people who have to listen to me preach. It's a prayer that I still pray often. (laughs) 
Being completely honest with you, I had worked on an idea for a sermon for the weeks leading up to this opportunity, but I had entirely worked on the idea in my head. And so three hours before the service, I had absolutely nothing written down. Not so much as an outline on a napkin. Needless to say, those were a feverish three hours. It was my first time to preach all on my own. I was intimidated. I did not feel up to it, as I often still don't feel up to it. And if you've had that kind of experience, that kind of feeling, as most of us have, then you have at least some idea of how the disciples of Jesus felt as Jesus spoke to them in the text that we're going to read today, John 14, 15 through 20, and we're also going to read verse 26. Many of your Bibles place a heading at the start of the 14th chapter of John that says something like, Jesus comforts his disciples. And the chapter starts out with Jesus telling his disciples that he's going to be going away, that that he's going to go and prepare a place, a heavenly home for them. You can imagine that this Uh, probably was not a welcome thought on the part of the disciples. And so he assures them that even though he's going to go away, he will come back and take them to be with him. But he is going away. He's he's leaving them. And then a little bit later in the 14th chapter, between verses 9 and 14, Jesus tells them that as he is going to the Father, what that's going to mean for, for them is that they are going to continue the work that he's been doing. And so he tells them that anyone who has faith in him will do the things that he has been doing. So understand the situation that these disciples are in as we approach our text for today. They have forsaken all to follow Jesus. They've been going around. He has been healing the sick. He's been raising the dead. He's been challenging the authorities. He's been casting out demons. They've been watching. They've been observing. They've been learning some, but not as much as they probably should have. And Jesus has told them that he's going to be leaving, and now it's going to be up to them to carry on this work that he's been doing. No wonder they needed comforting. That is an intimidating place to be. I mean, think about this. Realize what's happening. They've been trained for the last uh, two to three years by Jesus, who is God. And now they're being told that they need to carry on his work. I mean, it does not get any more intimidating than that. It does not get more challenging than that. How do you ever feel prepared to step in and do what God has been doing? That's a pretty tall, pretty tall order. So it is in this context of concern, of fear, of intimidation that we come to the words of Jesus uh, in John 14, 15 through 20 and 26. But before we read the text, let me tell you what happened to me that first time that I preached a message with no follow-up message. In about two and a half hours, I went from having nothing written on paper, not even an outline, to having several pages worth of handwritten notes. I got up and I gave the message that day, 
And I have to tell you, uh, I hope you received this in the spirit I intended, but to this day, I count it as one of the best experiences that I've ever had preaching. I actually, to this day, feel it is probably one of the best messages that I've ever preached. Now, Wednesday night was a different story. (laughs) But but on that Sunday, uh, things just went really well. How did that happen? It happened because I had help. No, nobody wrote the message for me. No, I didn't have the security of somebody coming along behind me and cleaning up whatever mess I was going to make. Yes, the pastor of that church that I was preaching in was a great family friend, very kind, very supportive, but he was not able to do this for me. I had to be the one to get up and do it, and I was able to because I had help. I had a divine helper, the Holy Spirit. And even though I was intimidated, even though I didn't feel up to it, even though I wasn't up to it, I had a helper who was up to the job. And the Holy Spirit empowered me that day to do something that I really did not feel that I was able to do. And this is what we're going to learn about today in John 14. To his fearful, intimidated, confused disciples, Jesus offers the assurance That though he is going to leave and go to the Father, he is going to provide them with a helper. So let's see what we learn about this in John 14, if you would follow along as I read. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Verse 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit... Whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And just a couple of verses that I want to add to this. I don't think these made it on your outline, but in chapter 16 and verse 17 and chapter 16 and verse 13, we also read these things. Again, the words of Jesus. But I tell you the truth, it is, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, but if I go... I will send him to you. 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So the disciples of Jesus are dealing with the fact that he is about to leave them. And they're dealing with the fact that Jesus has told them that now they're going to have to be doing what he's been doing. Jesus effectively says, but don't worry. Don't worry about it. Just because I'm going away doesn't mean that I'm going to leave you without help. I'm sending you someone who is going to help you do what you are now being required by me to do. So Jesus tells them in verse 16, I'll ask the Father, he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And then verse 26 makes it clear that this counselor is the Holy Spirit. Now, this word counselor is a very interesting word 
in the Bible. The word that gets translated counselor here in the NIV is the word paraclete. Paraclete. And what paraclete means in the most general sense is one called alongside another to help. So Jesus is telling his disciples that when he goes away, the Father is going to send them the paraclete, one who's going to come alongside them and help them. And makes it clear that this paraclete is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. Jesus says something interesting in verse 16. He says that the Father will send them another paraclete. Another paraclete. Which means that the term paraclete applies to Jesus as well as the one that the Father is going to send them. So Jesus has been the first paraclete, and now the disciples will be sent the second paraclete. The one coming to them is not a different type of helper, another kind of helper. The one coming to them is a helper of similar nature to Jesus. What the second paraclete will be doing is carrying on the work of Jesus in the lives of his disciples. He's another helper, much like the first. So Jesus promises they won't be left alone. There will be another called alongside them to help them. And this word paraclete is a pretty complex word. And it proves very challenging for Bible translators. It's challenging because there is no single English word that really captures the meaning of this word paraclete. Yes, it means one called alongside to help. But the meaning goes beyond just that and touches on the type of help this one called alongside is to give. But since no English word really captures it, Bible translators have to choose which meaning they're going to emphasize in their translations. And so the NIV has chosen counselor. And the paraclete is a counselor. Verse 26 tells us that the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, will teach the disciples all things and he will remind them of the things that Jesus taught. 16.7 says that he'll guide you into all truth. And so it is true, the paraclete is a counselor. But, but the meaning of the word isn't fully understood if we stop with the word counselor. The King James Bible uses the word comforter, one called alongside to provide comfort. The New King James uses helper, as does the New American Standard. The New Living Translation uh, translates this word paraclete as advocate, paraclete is an advocate. The Amplified Bible says comforter, but then it it inserts this parenthetical explanation of all the options they had to choose from. And so it says counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby. And still other sources say witness and judge. And here's the point that I think we're to take from all of that. The paraclete, the Holy Spirit that would be sent by the Father. By the way, I find it interesting that in chapter 16, we're told that the Holy Spirit would be sent by Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. So we get, we, we tie ourselves in knots when we try to like, okay, the Father does this, Jesus does that, Holy Spirit does that. Yeah, it's just kind of, God does it. God does it. One time you hear the Father's going to send the Comforter, another time Jesus says, I'm going to send the Comforter. 
And I find that interesting. But, but we are told uh, that the helper to the disciples, uh, the, the point that I want you to take is he would be able to help them in any way that they could possibly need help. That's what I think we need to take from all of these different words uh, that make up the meaning of paraclete. And so if they needed wisdom, he would be their counselor. If they were discouraged, the Bible is saying he would be their encourager. If they are weak, the Bible is saying that this one called alongside would be their strengthener. If they're in need, he'd be their intercessor. If they have sinned, he would be their advocate with God. If they suffered loss or mistreatment, he'd be their comforter. Whatever their need, this one called alongside to help them would provide it. Doesn't matter what it is. He has it to provide. Verse 17 describes the paraclete as the spirit of truth. And in verse 26, Jesus told them that the Holy Spirit would teach them all things. And so in addition to all of these other things that make up the rich meaning of paraclete, we find that the Holy Spirit is going to teach and lead them into truth, remind and confirm them of all that Jesus taught. We've called this series Promises, and what we've read today in red letters, the words of Jesus himself is his promise to his followers that even though he was going away, he would not leave them on their own, but he would give them a helper that would help them in absolutely any way that they needed help. What an amazing promise this is. What a wonderful promise. There's more we learn about the paraclete. Jesus said in verse 17, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So Jesus tells them that this paraclete, the Holy Spirit, is already with them, but soon he is going to be in them. And then he shares some fascinating information. In verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then in verse 20, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and... I am in you. In Colossians, the Apostle Paul refers to this as the the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now made known to the saints, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Jesus is telling us that through the Holy Spirit, Christ himself comes to live within the believer. Gary Burge says the Christian experience of the Holy Spirit cannot be viewed apart from an experience of Jesus. Roger Fredrickson writes, the persons of the Godhead come in the paraclete to abide, encourage, empower, and even witness through the disciples. Do you understand what he just said there? The persons of the Godhead come in the paraclete to live within a Christian. Romans 8, 9 through 11 says this, You are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Now pay attention to this. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but your spirit is alive because of righteousness. 
And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Now, there's a lot of great things that we could say about these verses. But what I want you to see here is how the spirit is referenced. We see first the spirit of God. Then we see the spirit of Christ. And then we have this reference to Christ in you. It's the spirit who raised Christ from the dead. The point of this is that this verse shows us that Fredrickson is right. The persons of the Godhead come in the paraclete to indwell the believer. The Holy Spirit is not something separate from God. The Holy Spirit is God. And so here's the truth that Jesus is telling his disciples, God won't just be with you, God will be in you. What a wonderful truth, what a wonderful promise, amen. All right. So the helper, so the paraclete, I'm sorry, is the helper that can provide anything at all that we need. Because this helper that Jesus said is with them and will be in them is God. This is why he can provide anything that we need. And then verse 16 tells us something else that was really encouraging to the disciples that day. Jesus said that the one he'd asked the Father to send them would be their helper forever. Forever. This wasn't temporary help. This was not a case of Jesus saying, well, you know, okay, I know you're not quite trained up right, and so, you know, I'm going to provide a little temporary help until you get to where you need to be. It wasn't like that. This was a promise from God that he is going to provide for his people a helper, not just for today, but also for tomorrow, and the day after that, and the day after that, and on and on it goes forever. The promise of the Holy Spirit is the promise of help. It's the promise that Christ will be with and in his followers, that God will live within his people. The promise of the Holy Spirit is the promise that help is available to God's people forever. And the promise of the Holy Spirit is that those who belong to Christ will be able to continue the ministry of Christ. This really intimidating task that the disciples were given by Jesus. Gary Burge says that through the indwelling of the Spirit, Christians were going to continue the presence of Jesus in the world. He writes, as the Son incarnated the Father's presence in the world, so now the Spirit brings the Son's presence into the world through the life of the believer. This is how the disciples were going to be able to do what Jesus had been doing, how they would carry on his work. They weren't left to do it alone. The Holy Spirit would do it through them as they would yield themselves to his help and to his power. The promise of the Holy Spirit includes the continuation of the work of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through Jesus' disciples. As we talked about last week, Jesus doesn't just make promises. Jesus delivers on promises. If God says something is going to happen, you can rest assured that it's going to happen. Jesus promised, he delivered, and he is still delivering on his promise of a helper today. 
Jesus made this promise to his disciples in our text, John 14. And the promise began to be fulfilled in John 22, I'm sorry, 2022, when Jesus, during one of his post-resurrection appearances to his disciples, breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So he told him before he died that they were going to receive the promise. He resurrected from the dead, and in one of these post-resurrection appearances, he breathes on them, says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, there is debate among Christians as to what actually happened here. Because after this, Jesus tells them to go and not leave Jerusalem until they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But I'm just going to give you my two cents and you, you uh, do what you want with it, okay? I think if Jesus breathes on you and says receive the Holy Spirit, I think you receive the Holy Spirit. That's, that's just my view. Jesus says it, breathes on you, I think, I, I think you've received it. Okay, so, so that's my view. But then in Acts 1, 4, and 5, Jesus did tell his disciples, it is absolutely true. He told his disciples not to leave Jerusalem until they would receive the gift promised by his father. And he told them that in just a few days, they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, and Acts 2, 4 tells us that as they were waiting, like Christ had told them to do, in obedience to Jesus... A sound like a blowing of a violent wind came into the room where they were sitting. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I believe they received the Spirit in John 20, 22. And then here in Acts 2, the paraclete, the one called alongside to help, gave the disciples a special empowering of the Spirit, call it a baptism, Call it a filling, call it what you will, argue among yourselves, leave me out of it. But the Holy Spirit they had received empowered them to do something that they could not do on their own. They declared the wonders of God in the various languages of the people who had gathered in Jerusalem. And what that did is it set the stage for Peter to deliver the first message of the Christian church. To deliver his Pentecost sermon. Where he said in Acts 2, 38 and 39 to people who said, what do we need to do to be saved? And he said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Here's the point that I really want you to get from this. Jesus made good on his promise to his disciples that heard him speak these words in John 14. The Holy Spirit then empowered them to do something they couldn't do on their own here in Acts 2. And in Acts 2, and here's what I really want us to see, it is made clear that the promise of a helper was not just for those first disciples. Yes, the promise of a helper was for them. It was also for their children. It was also for people who were afar off. And if that wasn't all-encompassing enough, we have this assurance, it is for all whom the Lord our God will call. So here's what I want you to know. The promise of a helper, the promised Holy Spirit, is a promise that God has made to you. This wasn't just for the early disciples. 
This promise is for you, each and every one of us here today. And God always makes good on his promises. If you believe in the Lord Jesus, come to him in faith. Turn from your selfish life. Acknowledge your sin. Repentance. You identify with Christ. Baptism. You say yes to his offer of salvation. Then the promise Jesus made to his disciples in John 14 applies to you as well. God has provided you with a helper who will counsel you when you need wisdom, but you feel like you don't have any. Maybe you're facing a situation that's so complicated today that you just don't know how to respond. You you don't know how to think about it. You have a helper. He's with you. He's also in you. He's going to give you wisdom. God has provided you with a helper who will encourage you when you're discouraged. Bills are mounting. Relational troubles are all around you. You feel discouraged. You feel sad. You have a helper for that. He's with you. He's in you. He's God. God has provided you a helper who will strengthen you when you're weak. He'll intercede for you when you're in need. He'll be your advocate when you've sinned. Anybody sinned? We have help for that. We have help for that. He'll comfort you when you've been mistreated. He'll comfort you when you've suffered loss. He'll teach you and he'll lead you into truth. He'll remind you of the words of Jesus. Whatever you need, the paraclete, the one called alongside to help who is not only with you but in you, the Holy Spirit is your whatever you need helper who will be with you at all times in every situation forever. It was Christ promised to his first disciples It's his promise to everyone who has received him as Savior. And it's his promise to all whom the Lord our God will call. So you say, I've not received Christ as my Savior. I have to just be honest with you right now. This promise does not extend to you. But you are a part of whomever the Lord our God will call. And he's calling you. And if you'll just respond to him in faith. This promise becomes your promise. It becomes a a promise to you. The promise is that you're not alone. The God of the universe is with you and in you. You have a forever helper, the Holy Spirit, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why don't you stand?